This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm Ross. You know who you are. Thank you for being here. I am so glad that you're part of this conversation today. We are continuing a series of conversations all about a recent research project that was published by, in partnership with the Barna Group and Awana, called Children's Ministry in a New Reality. And today, I am joined by Daniel Copeland and Matt Markins. Daniel Copeland is the Associate Vice President of Research at the Barna Group. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Matt, welcome back. It is good to be with you both. Hey, thank you. Now, I want to make sure that for folks who are listening or folks who are watching, uh, you please check out the show notes wherever you're listening or watching. Uh, there's a link to pick up this project. It is critically important. If you are listening to this in real time, this is August. Uh, this is you are getting started in the for your new ministry year. You are this is the critical time and there is critical research contained here that will impact your ministry year right away. So I want to make sure you pick up the book. But Daniel, um, before we get to you, Matt, I want to sort of set the scene here. Um, Matt, why did we engage in this project? Children's Ministry in a New Reality. For an organization like Awanda, there might be people who are wondering, why did we even start an, uh, an endeavor like this? That's, that's a great question. We're, we're so glad to have uh, Daniel with us. Uh, but yeah, Ross, people think about Awana, they think of children's ministry, they think of scripture, memory, child discipleship, the things we're probably most known for, especially in the United States. Uh, but so we started because we're so passionate about those. We started asking questions in particular at around 2013 uh, to learn how can we be most fruitful and faithful with the gospel. So research in just a couple of words, research is about learning. Research is about listening. It's about wisdom and insight. So we ask questions so we can learn and listen to get the best insight that leads to greater wisdom. So we we conducted four research projects, Ross, before we published the book Resilient. Those four research projects led to that publication. And when we did that, we brought in our own. We brought in the Barnard Group's research, Lifeway, Kara Powell, Christian Smith, and others. But since then, we've, we're actually now on our ninth research project. We're doing our eighth and ninth as we speak. But this particular project right here with the Barnard Group was our seventh project since 2013. So I, I think you could say that Awan is one of the leading researchers or, or, or commissioners of research in the children's ministry space. But to what end? We want to listen. We want to learn. We want to gain insight and wisdom around this singular question right here. What is it the local church does that leads to lasting faith in kids? That that singular question has really been our driving force as a ministry since 2013, because the more we can learn, the more we can share that insight with the church to help the bride of Christ be faithful and fruitful with children to prepare them to having thriving faith in a future that we none of us are going to see. Yeah, well said. So, Daniel, I don't want to make put you on the spot here, but I one of the things that stands out to me about this project is I do think it is a comprehensive beginning to answer that question that Matt just asked. And as someone who does this every day, who is engaged in so many different research projects, maybe for the cynical people amongst us, <laughs> what sets this project uh, apart? What allows people to know that this, there is data here that we can trust? that allows people to say there, this is a roadmap towards lasting faith. Yeah, thanks, Ross. Uh, and guys, thanks so much for having me. I'm just always uh, such a fan of the Awana team. You guys have been just absolutely fantastic to partner with over 
I feel like it's been about two years now since we've been in a relationship and just appreciate you guys endlessly and think of the world of this uh, project. Uh, so to get to your question, Ross, like why this book, what sets this apart? Uh, like so similar to what Matt was saying, uh, what's the usefulness of research? Like to, I, I say a lot that to be a researcher is to be a knowledge producer, to be somebody who is contributing new thoughts to the world rather than revisiting old thoughts where we're thinking new things, saying sentences that have never been said before. And what makes me so excited about this book, uh, there has been decades, almost 100, 200 years plus of research done on human development, child development. And so much of the, that research has built up this culmination of understanding like how kids are formed, how humans are formed, what, how our brains work. And at this moment in culture, we're having this, you know, uh, so many different aspects of culture are going right, going wrong, starting to leak onto each other. Um, and we're at a moment where like we need wisdom in the church on how to measure what matters and how to lead effectively. And I think children's ministry is one of the most overlooked uh, quite often um, parts of our churches. Uh, you know, at Barna, I've been in Barna for about four years, and I can name you one study we've ever done on children's ministry. Even though if you ask pastors, like, what's one of the most important parts of their ministry, children's ministry is always going to come to the top. Uh, so what sets this apart is that we're addressing something that is current, something that is relevant, something that will always be relevant. There, There is nothing cultural in 2022 about children's discipleship or children's ministry. This is always an issue. This is always something worth contributing new thoughts towards and getting it more and more right. Uh, and so it's set, it set apart because it's evergreen. Uh, it's good thinking that we're just going to get better and better at over time. And I think it sets the stage in a kind of unprecedented way for that good thinking and for good conversations to happen. It's always great when you like read the report and you go, wow, I knew that was true. And wow, I never would have thought of that. But what's even better is the conversations that starts. The conversation starts in your church. And so my last thought would here be like, what sets this apart is reading this book, every single person I've handed it to or had a conversation with, they get to talk like there's so many things to react to. There's so many things to think about in very practical manners. Uh, there's nothing lofty about it. It's kind of gritty in that way. You get to dig in and really think about, you know, what would I do in my ministry? Not it, This isn't a book about what's out there. It's about what's in here. Yeah, well said. So I want to talk about, wow, I never would have thought of it that way or I'll, I won't put words in your mouth. Oh, that put words to something I was feeling. Mm. One of the more surprising things to me that came from the project was the, the phrase that was used was the stalemate that exists mm. parents in a church community and their children's ministry leaders. So what straight from the research it says 95% of children's ministry leaders believe the primary source of children's of child discipleship should take place at home. I believe makes no one should be. I don't believe anyone who's listening to that is terribly surprised by that statistic. However, 49% of parents believe that. And 51% believe that it should happen at the church because that's how math works. So what I'm perhaps more interested in for the purpose of this conversation and Daniel, I'll start with you with this is how do we communicate why that stalemate matters? Because I think it becomes overwhelming very quickly to people to think, well, my parents aren't with me. My parents don't get it. 
And instead, I think children's ministry leaders around the country have to recognize that we can look at that stalemate as an opportunity to show them the value that they have in discipling their kids. Great question. And uh, the, the phrase stalemate was brought to us, I believe, by you, Matt, on the Iwana team. Um, and it was just such an accurate description of what we were seeing in the data, what we were hearing from people. Um, if you think about like, just think like physically for a second, like what's a stalemate? It's when like two opposing forces can make no direction, like pulling tug of war, but everybody's just like not moving whatsoever or two objects being pushed together that's not going anywhere. And we could have endless conversations theologically, scripturally, uh, socially, research-based about who should be leading what. But maybe like take that hat off for a second, take that question away and think about what's happening underneath that. Where's the child? <laughs> Where's the relationship? Where's the discipleship? And if there's a stalemate and no progress is being made, nobody's gaining traction, that's a child that is potentially not getting discipled, that's not entering into relationship. And so I think there's an opportunity there because we can identify it uh, and because we can identify the child underneath that, the, the, the real like root of the issue doesn't have to, the real, root, the real root of the issue doesn't need to be who leads. Maybe it can, the real root of the issue is what success is being had and how do we identify that success? Um, there are very few times in data that you'll see such a stark difference between 95% of people believe this thing, but only 50% of a different group believe the same thing. Like that's stark. That's night and day different. And so I hope that that's an incredible wake up call to the leaders that want to be effective uh, and the parents who want to be effective, that there's relationship and opportunity here that is impacting the life of the child. Yeah, well said. Matt, I would love for you to respond to the stalemate and particularly how we got here and what the children's ministry leader who's listening should do with that information now that they have it. Well, you know, George Barna did a project back in like 2003 or so where he published some of the findings in Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions. And this is when he, you know, penned that quote that's been, you know, kind of repeated and echoed over and over again, which is essentially that parents are the primary disciples of their own kids. And everyone in children's ministry ran with that. I mean, that's theological, it's biblical, it's also practical as parents. You know, they have kids the majority of the week as opposed to the church, which has children, you know, a couple hours a week in the best case scenario. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so it's a mathematical conversation as well as a theological that parents would be the primary influencers over the spiritual development of their children. Having said that, there's, there's some problems in the data in that, you know, Kara Powell did a project several years ago in Sikhi Faith that said that only 12.5% of parents are actually having spiritual conversations with their students. And so, so we know enough to know that in most homes, it's not happening. Uh, but we also know that it's, it's, it's supposed to be happening. So we've kind of got, as Daniel was saying, we, we're, we're at a bit of a stalemate. How do we actually move the needle? And so we, we're, we're seeing a couple of things that we believe the data is, is kind of alluding to some obstacles that have to be overcome. And, and one of them uh, is that, that lead pastors have the best vantage point to change the culture of the church. When a lead pastor understands this data and can regularly weave in the talking points into his weekly or the weekly teaching and sermons, 
that, you know, parents, as you're talking to your children, dot, 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 parents, weekly setting aside time to have conversations with your kids and, and having sermon series on this. Uh, if you're a pastor and you're passionate about discipleship, that your best opportunity is to equip those parents on a consistent basis, not on a once a year sermon series, consistently weaving it into your talking points and your teaching and your sermons and in your church communication, you know, so that that pastor can change the culture of that church by helping children be seen and noticed and giving parents, uh, parents talking points and equipping them on how to do this with their own children. And I would say, secondly, uh, the church has to change our equipping model. Uh, you know, we we use Sunday mornings to do, I think, what what's important work, teaching and preaching. Uh, depending on your church setup, you may have small groups, you may have children's ministry happening at the church. But what if we thought differently about how we equip parents? Because currently the models we typically use would be like, hey, we're doing a Thursday night special event or we're doing a Saturday midday special event for parents. And what happens? What happens is 4% of the parents show up to that, you know, because life is busy. But we already have parents at church on a Sunday morning. What if we set aside a special fellowship hall or a special classroom or an equipping room or a multi-purpose room? It, it, you know, many pastors, they want everyone in that sanctuary, right, to hear the, the main sermon. But what if we just said, you know what, we're going to set up a special course to try to get all of our parents through this special course to actually equip them on how to do conversations with their kids, how to do child discipleship at home. We've got to think differently on equipping. We're teaching, we're preaching, we're doing worship songs, but the actual equipping is not happening in most churches. We've got to make this so important that we actually equip the parents. And I think if we could, if pastors could try to transform the culture with the language and we actually change our equipping model, I think we can start to move the needle a little bit and break the stalemate and go beyond the talking point into actual action and transformation. That's yeah, really well said. And I think what I hope people hear is how non-radical of an idea that is. Daniel, that's a really practical example that Matt just gave, but you are someone who is regularly presenting data like this. And I'm curious, what have you found to be most effective in sharing data like this to senior pastors, senior leadership? Because there's a ton of children's ministry leaders who are listening to this right now, who are figuring out how to, for lack of a better term, get their senior pastors on board. What have you found to be effective in, as Matt said, beginning to change a culture? Gosh, what a great question. And, you know, one of the things that I, one idea I'd love to just add to this um, to kind of jump off of that uh, Matt was tapping into is every single project we do at Barna, um, there, we, we go through a long period of time where we're basically just talking about the project and we're thinking about it and we're refining our thoughts about it. And that's such an important part of the research process. And what you'll usually find is that somewhere in the midst of that one phrase, one idea starts sparking something. And for me in this project, the phrase that was used that sparked this project for me was, how can we expect congregants to give to children what was never given to them? Mm -hmm. um, discipleship. If a congregant who then, you know, maybe was raised into the church, 80% uh, of people in the United States were raised in the church today. Uh, they were raised in, maybe they never had that discipling relationship. Uh, maybe in college, they started to doubt their faith. Uh, maybe they left for a little while. Then they had a, a married, got a, had a child, and they started moving back into faith, back into a religious community. And they 
still never have that relationship when they were a kid, that discipling relationship, how can we as leaders then put expectation on them that when uh, you know, it's 1201 on a Sunday and people are heading home, that they are equipped to continue the work, continue the discipleship at home with their child. Like that expect that's a massive expectation, a massive assumption that we've put on the vast majority of people attending a church on a Sunday morning. Um, how can we expect somebody to do for a child what was never done for them? And so when you're talking about equipping, First, I think get your get our framework in the right spot in a helpful place to think about that. How can we expect these congregants to pass on to a child what may have never been passed on to them? Um, in, in the data, we referred to a bit of this idea as the discipleship deadline, which mm -hmm. I thought was a fascinating idea. And the discipleship deadline was basically that when you uh, survey U.S. adults and Christians about across the course of your life, when were you discipled? When were you on a, in a one-on-one -on -one or small group like relationship where you were being taught uh, how to follow Jesus? Uh, what you see is this massive drop-off after about 18 years old yep. um, that people just, it plummets. And these relationships either happen when somebody is a child and in children's ministry or youth ministry, or they don't. These things don't continue into our life. And so Coming to your question about practical, what can we do? Uh, pastors largely like to think of themselves, uh, we, we find this year over year, um, seven out of 10 pastors will say that their primary gifting is preaching and teaching, um, which that is an incredible gifting and so worth honoring and so worth respecting. Um, sometimes one of the most practical things we can do is stand agnostically and say, how are we preaching and teaching? How are we equipping? What are we working towards? Getting that framework of how am I equipping that congregant? Um, basically, like we think of the church so programmically, like everything's programmable. Relationship is not programmable. Um, you cannot program relationship. Relationship is formed personally. It is formed in conversation. And so every success story we've got out there that is about discipleship, basically starts in community. It starts in relationship. It starts in people rubbing shoulders with each other. Um, it doesn't often start from the pulpit. Um, and so we have to think a little differently about how are we going to reach people? How are we going to equip them to do what maybe someone never did for them to build the future church requires uh, reaping and sowing that is happening now, um, investments that are being uh, that are happening now because what you're passing on to the parent is what they pass on to the child. And what that past child retains today is what they get uh, to pass on 20 years from now. And so when we think with that mindset, when we think with that, you know, cascading of waterfalls, um, we start seeing the future church in a very non-anxious way. Um, it's just one relationship today. It's one conversation today that has 40, 50, 60, 100 years of um, benefit. Yeah, I'd like to to pull out to summarize a few words. I think I heard you say, Daniel, teaching and preaching are very informational. Mm. Equipping is like multisensory. It's this, mm. it's listening, it's lecture, it's also dialogue and discussion. It's also question and answer. It's also highly relational. So teaching and equipping, teaching and preaching are, are different from equipping, which is very experiential and it, it can give people more tools than just simply listening to a sermon. And so if we can find creative ways while we already have people at the church to equip them, we're giving them more tools in their tool belts to engage children outside the walls of the local church. 
Yeah. Okay. So I want to dive into one of the things that you mentioned, Daniel, which is this discipleship deadline. And Barna has been speaking, the Barna group has been speaking for a long time about how a person's worldview is largely shaped by the age of 13. And it's one of the things that has stuck with me through my time at Awana for the most because it speaks to the urgency of this moment. It speaks to the urgency of child discipleship. But Daniel, how do we balance both the urgency of child mm-hmm. discipleship with this equipping question of yeah. if this person who we're asking to do this discipling doesn't feel equipped and then we're also telling them time is running out how do we manage that tension well first and foremost we manage it non-anxiously and we and compassionately because those expectations and those assumptions they don't do very much good um in any relationship um so that the idea of the discipleship deadline and how we move from that idea worldview being built by 13 um, ask any like counselor, any therapist, and they will tell you, yeah, what you've dealt with, what you've battled by the age of 13 is going to stick with you. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Invest in resilient child discipleship this September 22nd and 23rd at the second annual Awana Child Discipleship Forum in Nashville or online. Awana President and CEO Matt Markins shares this message about the forum. Even in the midst of increased anxieties, there's tremendously hopeful news. Child discipleship forms lasting faith, regardless of the context. While the culture around us is changing at breakneck speeds, child discipleship is timeless, constant, sure, and fruitful. As churches and parents seek to navigate this new world we are living in, the Child Discipleship Forum is a gathering where we can come together in unity. What do all churches have in common? Our kids. Our children are the fearless future of the church. You are not going to want to miss this Child Discipleship Forum. It's rooted in the gospel, packed with cultural insight, validated by research, and filled with hope for the future. Whether you join us in Nashville or online this September 22nd and 23rd, you'll experience community and belonging as you connect with like-minded leaders in this critical conversation on child discipleship. Secure your seat on childdiscipleshipforum.com by August 25th to save $50 off the regular price. We'll see you at the forum. What we've experienced, the home we were brought up in, the people who are around us, those relationships, those ideas, like by the time you're 30 or 40, you're still talking about them. They're still influencing you. It's kind of like your trajectory for what you're going to battle in life has been set. And that shouldn't overwhelm us. That shouldn't give us a deadline. It should give us encouragement of this age range, of this time in one's life, this life stage everybody's going to go through that culture has no impact on. Um, Kids 100 years from now, they're going to have different toys, different iPhones, different whatever, but they're still going to be a kid. Um, And we can recognize that this time in one's life is so important, completely agnostically of culture. And that should give us freedom to do our best work, no matter what's going on out there, to create those relationships, to make the meaningful difference in one child's life, um, such that because this age range matters. Um, it matters so much and will always matter. Um, 
like I said, agnostically of what's happening in the world. Um, I find a lot of freedom in that. I hope that church leaders do too, because it removes the framework of a deadline. Um, it removes that a deadline that's out there in culture. It reminds us that every child matters, their life matters, uh, their relationship with Christ matters in a very unique way and should give us a freedom. Daniel, do I hear you saying, of, of course, of course, that age 13, you know, we want to try to form children as much to be like Christ prior to that age, right? When they're when they're really open to being formed. But later in life, when that 13 year old turns, you know, 29 and has their mm -hmm. first child, they, they may they may start to think, oh, boy, what what do we need to do? You know, maybe we should get back in church. Like, like, is that the kind of thing you're describing there? Oh, God. I mean, what I'm, what, gosh, what I'm thinking about is how um, we need to be equipping, you know, uh, one of the uh, a framework we often use at Barna is what's the difference between a technical solution and an adaptive framework. Um, a technical solution is when uh, your car breaks down and you need a mechanic, you need somebody to fix this thing. Um, and you don't need to be the expert of that thing. Adaptive frameworks are things that stick with us, the things that we're able, it, it can be as simple as like critical thinking, um, and we know how to assess a problem, but it can also be things like, I know the basics of how a car works, and I can probably get pretty close to what the issue is without needing a mechanic. Um, an adaptive framework is something like resilience that um, you guys have written about, David Kinnaman um, and Mark Matlack wrote about, about these frameworks that help us understand the bigger picture um, for how do we approach issues, gives us a framework, a toolkit to work from. And so on one hand, you can think about that 13-year-old who's having, um, they, they are not a technical, there's no technical solution here, there's no switch to be flipped. What we're providing them is the toolkit that no matter where their life goes, whether they drop out in college, have some ex, you know crisis of faith that they've got in their uh, in their pockets, in their tool belt, something that's going to encourage them later in life when they come across questions to know at least how to consider the question. It gives us that non-anxiousness, that freedom to say like we're equipping them with the right thing, no matter what they are going to come up against, no matter what decisions they might need to make in their life, they're going to have the right stuff in, around them to make those decisions, to consider those questions. Um, so that when they are 29 and maybe they've been out of the church for a few years and they have that child, they go, but you know where I made my best relationships growing up? It was in the church. I think we could try that. You know, maybe it's going to be a journey for me too, but because they had that experience at 13, because their worldview was shaped, because they had good people around them, they're able to make that decision later on. It's good. Yeah. So I want to land the plane here at one of what has consistently been something that has brought me hope during my entire time at Awana, which is what we have called the power of a loving, caring adult. And Matt, I want to start with you here because this is something that is a phrase that you've introduced to me, but it is something that we now have data to. So to our, an earlier point in our conversation, this was something we talked about that now we can clearly see. So for purpose of introducing the term in case this is something that is new to people, can you just describe what did we know before Children's Ministry New Reality about the difference that a loving, caring adult makes in the life of a person? And what do we know now, now that we have the data? Ross, this is something we've talked about a lot. And it's also something we haven't talked about enough. Mm. 
we as much as we've talked about this we we still uncover that the need to talk about this is greater and greater and greater so let's think about matthew chapter 28 what we call the great commission jesus said go into all the world and pass out scrolls of the bible no he didn't say that <laughs> go into all the world and distrib distribute literature and gospel tracts no he didn't say that jesus said go into all the world and make disciples what Jesus was, and he unpacks a little bit about what he means by that. But what Jesus was saying is, hey guys, what you just saw me do the last three years, when we when we traveled the region together by foot, you know, when we when we live life together, we sat around the campfire, when I taught on a hill, when you saw me perform miracles, all these things we did together, which was highly relational, I want you to go and do that. That's what Jesus was saying. Go into all the world and make disciples teaching and baptizing. And so Jesus was saying, I need you to get involved in people's lives. I need you to walk beside them. When they confess their sin, you be there, you pray with them, you teach them the Bible. And so how does this relate to children? It's not just a matter of playing a really uh, creative video that may or may not be teaching the Bible. Like the videos have their place, Mm -hmm. But children's ministry, if we're not careful, it, it can become or it even has become uh, a highly entertaining uh, system, uh, but a little lacking in uh, adult mentors. Sam, Sam Luce likes to say a little less Disney, a little more Mr. Rogers. What he's saying mm -hmm. is Mr. Rogers was highly relational with children. And all the data continues to show when we have loving, caring adults engaging with children, they're far more open to spiritual growth and to growing in their faith in Jesus Christ. So Daniel, I want to ask one of, you know, again, I would highly encourage folks, especially those of you who are still listening. If you have been engaged with this conversation, the last thing I want is for you to go, man, that was interesting and not pick up the book. There is so much more to this book than just the three of us talking about it. But Daniel, for the information about love and caring adults specifically, what I'm curious about is you were talking about discipleship before and this uh this trajectory that kids can be on and how two out of five kids actually experience an additional presence of a loving caring adult in their life what do we know about those two out of five kids compared to their peers yeah um so we're in research we're always you know we're, we're out to answer big questions we're out to answer produce good knowledge think new thoughts um, we're also obsessed with the idea of parsimony. Um, parsimony is basically the idea that like this, uh, an answer, a solution is better if it's simple. Um, and that simple, better, uh, simple, clear, direct ideas um, contribute more. And so when we're in research, it doesn't always, it's not very helpful if I tell you, like, give you, you know, the 36 step plan to defining um, what makes an everlasting faith. Like that's actually... The, those 36 might, steps might be helpful, um, but it's 36 steps. Wouldn't it be really great if we came up with like one parsimonious, simple, clear answer? And so we're always just trying to make sure that our data points to uh, simple solutions in a complex time. And there has just been nothing more fascinating over the last few years than looking at this data and saying one loving, caring relationship has a magnitude, like in incredible amount of difference um, and incredible impact on what experience one child is having in their church. 
Um, so the way we do this in the data and uh, making my case for it um, from a data perspective is we basically look at the data and we're, we're talking to parents in this data about what experiences are your child having. Um, does someone care for them at church? Are they excited to go to church? And we decide to split up the data by does this child, is this parent indicate that their child has this relationship, a loving, caring, positive relationship, and comes out to being two out of five kids. And what we see is that those kids are three times more likely to be engaged in scripture on a weekly basis, mostly of their own accord, that they're excited to go to church. They are more likely to find belonging within their church, like they've got community in their church. They're more likely to even have an idea of their trajectory of where they want to go in life. They want to be, they're inspired by generosity at their church. They're inspired to make a difference at their church. And it's incredible, like it's actually kind of like beautiful in a kind of postmodern way that one relationship can make such a massive impact. Yeah. Um, it's the sort of thing of like, wouldn't you what, what you can't help but be compelled by it once you've seen the findings around it. And once you really consider what that must mean. Um, and the last thing I would say, like, you know, making like this is on a non database argument for it. But you talk to any great like any leader in a church about their upbringing and what their church community is like, they can point you to that person. Yeah. They can tell you who that person was. I've got those stories. Every person on my team has those stories. Any person uh, in ministry I've ever interviewed has that story. And it kind of feels like this best kept secret of like, hey, if we, if we form this intimate bond, this meaningful bond, it will make a lifelong difference. And that's something that can't happen in a sermon. It's something that can't happen with like Matt. So when you put the video up, it happens when we get kind of gritty, when we sit down we have conversations. Um, maybe the last idea, this is an idea I've been fascinated by lately. Um, we've been working with this framework lately of the difference between puzzles and mysteries. Um, puzzles are things that are just information-based and basically you just have to have the right information in the right way to solve it. Whereas a mystery requires on the interpretation of the information. Um, we're required to interpret the information to get to the right solution. And basically preaching and teaching and programming is a lot of information relationship happens in mystery and what a great curiosity it is to unlock God's potential in people because we've sat down and we've interpreted what they're saying and they've interpreted what we're saying and we've had this incredible experience together that is far beyond just information being passed one to another um, and I think that is something beautiful and something worth pursuing and hopefully this data makes a really compelling argument for why that matters to get curious about people and want to sit down and be in relationship with them because we recognize the long-term impact it's going to make. It's good. Well said, man. So I would love for people to join us at the Child Discipleship Forum where they're going to learn even more about this project. They're going to learn more about what we at Awana tend to do with this research to carry it into the future. Because I think one of the things that I love the most about the information and the idea behind the power of a loving, caring adult is how all encompassing it is and how invitational it is. Because everyone who is listening to us knows how to be a loving, caring adult. You wouldn't still be listening if you didn't know how to be engaged in a relationship with kids. I don't care how many letters you have after your name. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how many kids you have or what your experience looks like. You know how to do this. And 
it turns out now we have research to show just how powerful that is and just how much God uses that uh, to impact the life of kids. So Matt, this book ends with a very powerful question from the folks at Barna, which is now what? And we started this conversation by reminding folks that there are people who are listening who are starting their ministry year and we want them to pick up this book because we truly believe it'll be helpful to them. But I'll last word to you. Now what? So, so I think just two super practical things to, to, to move this into action. Well, the first one is this, Ross, if I told you, you and I could invest $30 that was going to uh, yield $100,000 in a few years, uh, you know, you and I are not financial geniuses, but I think we'd be like, okay, show me where I do this, right? So mm-hmm. in, in a similar way, this book is like $29. Uh, it's, a, it's a valuable, rich, full-color research, lots of charts and graphs, lots of insight. I, I think, Ross, the impact of that $30 investment, if you share the book with your team and read it together, uh, it's going to yield $100,000 of impact of the lives that could have gone one direction, but are going to be transformed and, and, and yielding lasting faith in children. So obviously I'm using a financial metaphor there, but uh, so it, it, the book is worth the investment to get a copy for your team, get a copy for everyone on your team. You, you'll definitely be glad you did. Secondly, though, Ross, uh, p- people listen to this podcast because they want to get equipped. So we have a thing launching this fall. Uh, called the Resilient Child Discipleship Training, which, by the way, includes research from the Barn Group in the training. So if, if you're a member of this community, if you're a children's ministry leader or a parent, and you're asking questions, well, how, how do I form lasting faith in my kids? The Resilient Child Discipleship Training is built on those three primary factors that lead to lasting faith. It's a one-day training. It's on Saturdays. It launched, The first event launches in Dallas on October 15. The second event launches uh, October 22nd in Nashville. There, there's a whole course, a whole tour. I'm sure we can link to that perhaps in the show notes. Um, but the tour is a great opportunity for you to bring your team or come as a couple of your parents and get equipped on how to actually implement this week by week, year over year with your children and grandchildren and in your children's ministry. Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith, young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation, as well as information about our other podcasts from Awana. The podcast is mixed, edited, and produced by Marlon Washington and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.